from the Rose City in beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon, home of bikes, books, bridges, beards, food carts, startups, and indie coffee. Grab your dog, snatch your hammer and beer, leave your umbrella at home. Welcome to the Tiny House Podcast. It's the Tiny House Podcast. I'm Perry. And this is Michelle. It is. And this is Mark. Hey, Mark. Good morning. Good morning. So that was a good start. Now we're going to go like. I know. Crazy. We just instantly, within <laughs> 10 seconds, in the crapper. No, 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 no. I have my coffee. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Me too. Everything's feeling good. Um, Michelle had an interesting story this morning about her tiny house trailer and her, her dilemma, with her DMV dilemma. Yes. Problem with the DMV, that's so unusual. Oh my God. <laughs> Who would expect it? I know, right? Power hungry fucking bastards. <laughs> All right. Oh, then. we just named the episode. <laughs> there you go. Name that episode. <laughs> we won't go into the long story. Um, I'll give him the short story. Go for it. I took my paperwork, I took my trailer to the <clears> DMV to get a license plate. Their goal is to match the VIN. There's a little plate on the trailer that has a VIN number. The VIN and the paperwork. Once you match the VIN and the paperwork, then they give you a license plate and you're good to go. I had all my ducks in a row and the guy didn't like where the VIN plate was located. He didn't like your ducks. He didn't like your ducks. Nope. <laughs> so he was being a real jerk about it too. So so now I have to jump through yet another hoop, but that's okay because that's what you do. I'm sorry. What did you just say? Now I have to jump through yet another oh, hoop. okay. I thought she said yet three yet another who three I don't know what the hell she said. <laughs> it sounded like a like um um that old colloquial expression that people say um a couple three. Whatever a couple the hell three? that means. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I don't know what that means. I think no, six, but every every time and, and all tiny house enthusiasts will definitely uh will definitely agree. Every single time you venture outside the box or even close to the edge of the box, people just feel like they have the responsibility to put you back in it put you back in it and that's okay there are bureaucratic loops that uh, hoops we have to jump through as tiny house enthusiasts and i'm I, i'm prepared to do the next one which is fine go to state patrol get it inspected but um i'm just pissed that i have to because the guy was just being a power hungry jerk ass hat what did you say guy yeah guy or ass hat ass hat that's <laughs> the term one of our listeners called me an ass hat yeah Really? Remember, I, it was in the it was in the one reviews. of the reviews. Yeah. One of the reviews, which we're going to review, which we're going to re- we'll read, read a new review here, right? later today. Yeah. So okay, get your reviews of the Tiny House podcast in, listeners, because we are be- we are reading them now on on the air. If you're lucky, if you're, and they can be good or bad. So that's right. Let us have. So other than the DMV thing, however, life is lovely. Life is lovely, and we're going to get snow. Let's not talk about that. Let's just go on with the show. We're evergreen because they'll be listening to this in Ex- spring. Exactly. Going snow in Portland exactly. in April? What <laughs> the well? <laughs> in April there has been, but whatever. <laughs> exactly. So. Ah, uh, so um, the listeners don't w- listen to this transition I'm about to do. The listeners don't know that we have cleaned, or actually, Mark has cleaned up the studio. It is very minimalist in here. It is. It is actually. There used to be clutter all over this table, but Mark is preparing for new equipment arriving. What's very interesting, however, is what he decided to keep. <laughs> There's a dick in the There's table. There's a big dick on the table, <laughs> <laughs> as in Richard M. Nixon, a big. Richard M. Nixon candle. Yes. It's the weirdest thing. It is weird. It's the weirdest thing I think I've ever seen. It's pretty odd. And the fact that it it survived the purge is even more interesting. It it is interesting. It's never been lit. But it's got a nice little glow in this dark studio. That's true. That's true. But you don't want to sit on that day. (laughs) 
Do we have a guest today? Well, I was good. Okay. The minimalist thing. Okay, I'm sorry. Trying to try and make the, but then we got to Richard Nixon, and so anyway, so um, Joshua, welcome to the show. How are you guys? We're happy, obviously. Yes, I guess so. Very exciting for your new equipment. (laughs) Thank you. Yes, Mark is excited about it because he doesn't have to pay taxes as a result of making those. Well, you know who gets it? (laughs) Feds or us with new equipment? Exactly. Well, a lot of our feedback from our listeners has been we need to improve our sound quality. (laughs) Right? That's not a. That's not a equipment issue. (laughs) Yeah, that was we had a fifty (laughs) dollar recorder we used for the first year, but nobody's aware of that. And also our sound engineer. Who I was not, who I'm not going to name, but his initials are Mark Grimes. <laughs> um, just it's it's hard to produce these shows when you when you aren't a professional doing the sound. I mean, we've got a couple of yep. pod, podcasts that we fuck up all the time because it's it's hard to get the sound levels right. But not this one. Well, and it's always been getting better. Yeah, but we're seasoned professionals now, so Joshua yeah. is uh, is rest assured. His show is going to be really good. Exactly. It'll sound good and filthy. And minimalist. <laughs> um, so anyway, Joshua Joshua Becker, I am uh, uh, impressed by you, Joshua, and I am feeling, you know, people come on to our show, Joshua, and they're like, wow, I made it to the Tiny House podcast. But now I'm feeling kind of like the opposite. It's like, wow, what an honor to have you on our show. Because Joshua, for the listeners, Joshua is pretty famous yeah he is yeah. a leader in the minimal minimalist movement who has been acknowledged um by a lot of luminaries luminary organizations including um the wall street journal he's been on cbs uh, npr the boston globe um he speaks to through his website he speaks to millions of people a month which is impressive amazing and so um I want to I want to ask a bunch of questions of Joshua, but first I want to ask. So Joshua said that he got into minimalism as a result of a conversation he had with a neighbor, and so Joshua, I'd love to hear what that conversation was about. Yeah, I'll give you the uh, two or three minute version, maybe the one to two minute version, and um, fill in any details if you would if you would like them. But uh, eight years ago, I was uh, cleaning out my garage on a Saturday morning. Uh, my son was five. Um, I thought the project would be a, a short kind of spring clean job, uh, but it, it turned into hours um, of cleaning out my garage while my uh, five-year-old son uh, alone in the backyard was, I don't know, begging me to, to come play with him. And um, I, I started complaining with my neighbor. Uh, my neighbor had been uh, doing all of her yard work for about the, the same amount of time, and we just started complaining about uh, how much time and effort had gone into taking care of our stuff. And for the first time I, I ever heard the word uh, minimalism, she um, used it in reference to her daughter. She says, yeah, my daughter's a minimalist. She keeps telling me I don't need to own all this stuff. And uh, I looked at the pile of things piled up in my driveway. I'd been um, you know, working on all morning and uh, noticed my five-year-old son swinging alone in the backyard and, and just had this realization that everything I owned wasn't making me happy, but... Uh, even worse, everything I owned was actually taking me away uh, from the very thing that that did bring happiness and fulfillment and, and purpose into my life. So um, that's the uh, that's the short version of the story that um, forever changed my life. It, it's you know this is interesting um, for us, I think, because everybody who is aspires to living in a tiny house has to go through the process that you have apparently gone through, or at least they have to confront the questions that. 
I'm about to ask you that you've probably had to deal with. Like, what did how what did you do with all your stuff after you came to this realization? Or did you have so what happened next when you had this after this conversation with your neighbor? Uh, the the very next thing that happened, I I ran into uh, tell my wife about this about this uh, epiphany. I guess um, this I, it was like a like a um, like a lightning like a like just a, a moment in time where where I began seeing stuff. I began seeing possessions. I began seeing everything with with brand new eyes, um, and and rather than seeing them as I don't know, promises that uh, rather than seeing them as things that were supposed to be making my, my life better, I, I suddenly realized that, um, that, that they were more like a burden, um, than, than, um, fulfilling any promises. And I, I, uh, I told my wife about the conversation. She had been spring cleaning inside the house all day long. And so she was on board and, uh, we, um, we just began going through the house. I actually started in my car. That was the first place I pulled my car out of the garage. And as I pulled it back in, I just started looking around and noticing, I don't know, old maps and sunglasses and CDs and ketchup packets and happy meal toys and like everything, <laughs> like just all this stuff that didn't need to be in my car. And so that was the the very first thing that I, that I minimized. I just took everything out of my car that didn't need to be there and, um, uh, loved, loved using my car ever since without a bunch of junk and clutter around. I'm surprised that your wife was willing to go with it right straight away. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, well, I don't know why. Uh, why would you be surprised? I would think that in a in a relationship, someone would be like, "I'm not getting rid of all my stuff." Mm. Um, I would say that I, if if in that moment I wanted to get rid of eighty percent, eighty percent of our stuff, um, she maybe thought that I meant get rid of half of our stuff, <laughs> and so certainly. And so certainly as we, we began going through the house and uh, getting rid of some things, it went pretty well. Uh, eventually we reached a point where I was like, let's do it again. Um, let's get rid of more. And and she started to push back at, at <laughs> that point. Um, but it's uh, it's pretty interesting. I, I think you see, you know, I, usually I say that I think when – um, when you when you find a, a couple, when you when you find partners and they they both have, um, I don't know, something in common, whether they, they both like to travel or they both, um, um, you know, they, they both want to save, right? Like when there's something else that, that kind of um, drives them, I think that the, the minimalism conversation becomes a little bit easier because we can begin to see what life could look like on the other side of uh, owning less. Got it. It's interesting to me that you said, um, one of the comments you said was, let's do it again. I think that people uh, misinterpret and minimalism as something that you do, but I think minimalism is something that you do over and over and over. Um, I've been downsizing for a couple of years now, um, moving, my kids are moving out literally in two weeks and I'm officially moving into my 200 square foot tiny house. And I think this is round four or five of, of downs, 
of downsizing and, and almost like round five or something. Can you talk a little bit about the evolution? Again, you have an aha moment. You're very passionate. You have the conversation. You kind of have that initial push. Can you talk a little bit about the evolution and and uh, how it progresses both emotionally and logistically? Oh, yeah, gosh. Um, man, both of those um, logistically and emotionally are um, um, long conversations. I uh, it's it's very fun. I I started my website that like that weekend, uh, becoming minimalist. It was the the decision that we had made. Uh, uh, seemed like the the proper process to describe what what I was going to be doing. And um, at first, it was just kind of an online journal, what we were doing and what we were getting rid of. Um, but it's funny, even eight years later, I I still think it's the the perfect title for, for my life. Um, I'm glad it's not became minimalist. I, used to say. <laughs> I think, I think uh, becoming is is still right. Certainly, as, as you have kids and they age and change and uh, life changes, and it's always a I think a process of uh, refining um, the things that you own and and what's adding value and what's serving a purpose and and what possessions are are not. But um, logistically, it was um, I. I I think waves is usually the way I describe it. I think there was a, a wave, like the first just going through the home and getting rid of things that we knew we didn't need, like we knew we could part with and it wouldn't be hard, um, and and moving those things aside and, and moving those things out of our life. And then uh, there was a second wave of going room by room through the house and saying, what do I really need to have in my kitchen? Um, what, what do I just think that I wanted or what do I just think that I needed? Um, going room by room through um, through all those different areas, um, and that that was the time where we we went through, and then like let's do all that again, um, and let's push even further into uh, into owning less, and and that's where my my wife started to push back. But I I think logistically there's um, there's a another another phase of experimenting with less uh, a little bit and and testing out some of our assumptions and testing out some of the some of our boundaries and saying hey can I go you know I, I found it with clothes right there, there was an initial going through the closet getting rid of all the stuff I didn't wear that was pretty easy and then there was a like let's go a little further and let's let's get rid of even more um, articles of clothing and then and then there was like a third wave of let me just test out what if I got rid of another 50% of my clothing and went down to like 30 or 40 articles of clothing. Do I like this better or does this not work for me? And and testing that out in um, certain areas I, I think is – I don't know. I I think most everyone I know who who's trying to embrace minimalism as a lifestyle – has those moments where they're where they're testing out assumptions and they're experimenting with less and in different ways. It, it the process that you you described in answering Michelle's question is really interesting, and and I'm glad you went to the articles of clothing because I uh, can you describe what is the state of your place where you live right now? For example, if I were to open the cabinets that where the glasses are, would I see? It looks like you have, based on your website, it looks like you have four people living in your house, including yourself. So would I see four glasses or would I see 18 glasses? Uh, you would see eight. Uh, you would see eight. Um, we, um, yeah, I mean, we, we, we have people over. We like having people over for, um, for dinner and, and doing, some, doing some entertaining like that. So eight, 
seems to be, you know, the, the place settings that we have. And, um, so there's eight glasses and I guess you can find eight, eight mugs in there. Uh, probably more than eight m- coffee mugs. I guess my kids have a few that they like their hot chocolate in that they've, um, gotten from, from different things. So, um, there's a few of those odds and ends in, in there as well. So when it uh, comes clothing for uh, for clo- for clothing, uh, I was very inspired by uh, Courtney Carver's uh, Project Three Thirty Three, um, where you uh, where you experiment with wearing just thirty three articles of clothing for for three months. Um, so uh, when I did that, I, I found that that seemed to be about the the right number. So usually, in uh, any given time in my closet, you could find about thirty three to forty things, depending if I've um, replaced t-shirts recently or not how do you how do you count 33 like is is two is a pair of socks two items or one one Uh, one uh for uh for uh for courtney's um experiment she she uh she says don't count underwear and don't count workout clothes those are her uh her two exclusions which which seem to make pretty sense so i uh, i don't count socks in my uh list of 33 (laughs) <laughs> I'm challenging Perry to downsize to 33, and and I was giving him the ability to count a pair of socks as one. Hand. Yes. <laughs> so okay, so that that's interesting. Th- so the next question I have for you is, what is the? I presume the picture on your website um, is of your family. Is well, I, I'm not going to presume. How, what what kind of house are you living in? Uh, we live in uh, Peoria, which is a suburb of Phoenix. Uh, the house is uh, 16, 1,700 square feet, um, somewhere in between there. has uh, three bedrooms and two bathrooms. Um, it's me and my wife and then a son and daughter, so it um, works, out, works out pretty well for us. We knew we wanted to live in uh, this specific neighborhood, uh, when we uh, when we moved here for um, for a variety of different reasons, and so uh, we we had actually located the neighborhood before we had um, found a house, and we uh, we went in and said, "What is the like? What is this?" It was funny. I said, "What is the the smallest, best built house that we can find in the in the neighborhood for sale?" Um, and uh, uh, worked out pretty well for us. We're uh, pretty happy with it. Nice. So um, back to the process of minimalizing or minimalizing, is that the right word? Minimizing. Minimizing. I knew that was wrong. You will like saying minimizing better. (laughs) Minimalizing. Um, So while you were going through that process, so um, I I think that women actually tend to have a a harder time, certainly myself included, uh, with downsizing uh, my shoes, my boots, my hats, my scarves. My clothes, We've my closet. It. We've seen it, yeah. <laughs> and I think men in general, I'm just going to say for our listeners, I think that men in general probably have a difficult time with tools, probably, and hobby stuff. Hobbies, for sure. Hobby stuff, guy stuff. So for you personally, uh, what was your diff- most difficult category? And can you talk about the justification behind the things that you actually kept? Um, two specific examples. Oh gosh, most difficult category. Hmm. The hardest thing for us, for me, wasn't necessarily, um, well, maybe it was. I, the hardest thing for me was, was going through the basement 
Um, and and it was because the the basement was kind of the the collection spot for for everything. So all of the old memories of trips and weddings and high school and college, um, old clothes that the kids had worn and old toys, like like everything kind of migrated into this storage area in the basement. And it became the the hardest thing for me. Um, one, I, I think just the 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 time commitments and the the physical effort and then I, I think some of the the memories associated with some of those things that was the uh, that was the hardest thing for me to get rid of um, uh, what what else would be a hard one um, I, my my hobby is tennis so it wasn't <laughs> It wasn't like I had a bunch of camping gear, or uh, <laughs> and I and I'm I'm not I'm not one to really fix stuff very well, which is why we wanted a well-built home. Uh, so so tools wasn't difficult for me, and I don't like camping, so camping gear wasn't difficult. Um, I, I I probably have a, a few more um, books than um than I need to. That maybe is the the harder one for me to get rid of. There's there's a few boxes of books that. Um, when I, um, I worked at a church before doing this writing full time. And so I, that was three years ago. And uh, a lot of those books that, um, I just kind of put in boxes for the moment, um, are still in boxes. So, um, I, that's probably the thing that's something I, I should be going through, but, um, but haven't quite yet. On on some level, my children actually sort of push back against the concept of downsizing or minimalism. My daughter actually said about a week ago, she said to me, I'm in the phase of my life when I get to collect stuff. But then yesterday, um, she actually was so proud that she posted on Facebook that she was going through, you know, some of her bins, um, bins of stuff. And she went through four bins, and she only ended up with a half of a bin when she was done. Wow. So um, she appears to be going through that process right now. Again, that emotional process of, but I really like my stuff, but what do I really need? Can you talk a little bit about um, your children, um, their perspective on it? Um, do they acknowledge it as a, as a different lifestyle, or is it just reality for them? Uh, how old is your daughter? My daughter's 21. Uh-huh. Very interesting. Um, uh, the, uh, what was the specific question about my kids? Well, do they see minimalism as, as oh, just right. reality or are they actually like, but we want more toys or we want more stuff and, and your lifestyle is sort of impeding their ability to have more stuff that their friends have or something along those lines. Yeah, sure. I, I think both. Um, my, my son is, is now 14 and, and my daughter is 10. Uh, my son is... I don't know. Always been fine with with um, with minimalism. He's he's never wanted to collect a lot of different things. His, I mean, his his hobby is soccer and playing video games. So you know, there's not a lot of stuff that that goes with those things um, necessarily. My my daughter is ten, and she's she's the collector in the family. So she likes dolls and clothes and artwork and. Um, sidewalk chalk and collecting sticks and you know she's um she's into that a little bit more than than any of the others so i think my i think they both um realize it's it's just our way of life and they they know why we do it i think we've always been good to explain to them why we do what we do and and why it's important to us um but uh at at the same 
token, I, it's, I don't know. It's kind of funny. I, I'm, me and my daughter are, are very much alike. And so when I was 10, I was collecting anything and everything that, that I could get my hands on baseball cards and GI Joe guys and, um, all those different things. So there's a little bit of, you know, maybe it's unfair for me to assume my daughter at age 10 is going to uh, understand everything that took me 30 some years to figure out in mm-hmm. life. So, so maybe there's, maybe there's some patience and, and grace that, uh, that needs to be, needs to be shown there. Um, so we try to, it's kind of how I try to approach it. We can still set boundaries for her. I think boundaries are helpful for her to have. Um, so, um, so that's what we do. Joshua, I'm curious, going back to the decisions that you were making, uh, around the memories that were, that are embodied by the objects in the basement. How did you, how did you, um, can you tell a story of how you went through pushing past the memory, the value of the memory that allowed, that allowed you to get rid of that object? Can you give an example of that? Yeah, probably the, the best example, probably the best story that, um, exemplifies our, our thought process going forward is, is my wife. Uh, my wife's grandmother had died um, years ago, and she was very close to her grandmother. Um, when she passed away, all the family members went through her apartment and, you know, grabbed, you know, different uh, some some different things from it. And uh, she came home with two not huge, but two cardboard boxes full of uh, stuff that she wanted to use to remember her grandmother. Uh, when we, when we began going through the, the basement and I got to those two cardboard boxes, it was, it was, it was an interesting epiphany again of, wait a minute, for years we've had this stuff just in boxes Mm -hmm. in the basement. Like she, she got these things because they reminded her of her grandmother, but we, uh, we don't do anything with them. And so she she went through the boxes and she found just three things that that she thought most represented her grandmother and that relationship. She found a, a the candy dish that was always in her grandmother's living room, and she and uh, what's so funny she, about that? <laughs> because grandmothers have that habit of having that old sticky hard candy, oh, big glob. I see <laughs> ribbon candy, that yes. nasty tasting. Sorry, I'm interrupting. <laughs> Interrupting the story, no, that's okay. bringing back memories for me too. I could tell, obviously. <laughs> my, uh, my my grandma always had the little flavored caramels. Um, oh, yeah. little, uh, oh, the Werthers, the hard candy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, lint. they were like soft, oh. kind of oh. chewable things, but oh. had like raspberry and vanilla flavors. Anyway, um, <laughs> so she uh, she grabbed the candy dish, and and now it's in our living room, and we see it every we see it every day. She um, she grabbed like her grandmother's butterfly pin that was on her. Um, on her coat, and she put it on her coat. Um, she found um, um, an old book from her grandmother, and and now it's uh, in her nightstand. And so, like, it's just very interesting how in in purposefully pulling out like just the most important of those items, they actually took a like a higher place of value in our in our lives and. Um, it was kind of the idea that we, we took through, um, all the different stuff going through the, the wedding things. And I don't know, they're like, we had like our old wedding napkins, like, <clears throat> like from our marriage, you know, seven or eight years ago, we had all these leftover napkins that we 
we kept and we used them. We just uh, used them for a month or so in our in our family. And um, I don't know, I think we left like the photo album from the wedding, which seemed to um, seem to, you know, picture the whole day and allow us to relive it if we needed to. So only the best was our uh, was our philosophy and uh, some of those sentimental things. <clears throat> so what did you do with the so once she picked the, the candy dish and the butterfly thing and I um, can't remember the third thing that she picked. The book, the book. What did she do? What did you guys do with the rest of the boxes, the, the stuff in the boxes? You know what? I, um, I do not remember specifically. That is a good question. Do you I, have the stuff still? I, no, 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 no. Um, I'm, I'm sure um, we, uh, we donated a lot of stuff to, um, gave a lot of stuff to Goodwill. Uh, I imagine that's where a, a lot of the stuff went. Um, I don't remember if any of it got placed into other. I don't think her siblings took any of the other things that that she had kept. They had mm. gotten their own things. I I I, uh, I don't remember specifically actually. I have a grandmother story too. I'd like to share. When my grandmother died, my cousin called and and said that she that I basically inherited the entire contents of her sewing room. So um, she had a massive sewing room. Um, I ended up with literally 10 55-gallon plastic bins full of uh, fabric. Thimbles. and Just fabric. 37 wow. pairs of scissors. But anyway, so <sighs> I just want to tell the listeners, what I did with that was I took you know some of it and actually donated it to the high school sewing program. Oh, that's a good idea. Um, that was some of it. And then some of it I actually gave to a local quilter group. Um, and in exchange for the huge donation, they actually made me a beautiful, beautiful quilt for my, oh, nice. for my tiny house. Did so, they make it out of the the uh, fabric that you're... Yes. Oh. All the vintage fabrics, actually. We nice. pulled out all the actual 1950s and 1960s vintage fabric. Um, however, I still have a couple of items from my childhood and definitely um, items that my parents gave me. One in particular, that's a... It's actually a fur coat that, she, that my mom bought for me when I was, I want to say, 15 or 16 years old. And I thought I was all that. And I still have it. And I don't know why. And so... Is it real fur? It is real fur. I bet it's musty. Cat. It's cat. <laughs> <laughs> so um, can you put your therapist hat on for a moment? Um, what what image, what, like, how do I get past that? How do I get past the fact that I, obviously I haven't worn it? it it's not even a, almost appropriate to wear and with my current value system. Um, how do I get past that? Do I donate it to charity and have some other little 15-year-old girl wearing a fur coat? <laughs> oh, I, I don't, I, I would, I would. I would probably tell you not to get rid of it if if uh, if you don't need to if you're not ready for it. I um, I, I think that <clears throat> I, I I think that less less is different than none. I usually say um, and so so going through you know Kim's grandmother's stuff, it was never like hey we can't keep any of this. Mm. It was just like let's let's keep less of it. We don't need as much as we we actually had, and we can actually. Um, you know, bring, bring greater use to the things that we, that we do keep if, um, if we have less. And so I don't know. I mean, if the, if the fur coat is something that you, that you, that you want to get rid of, then yeah, I mean, I would say uh, find, um, you know, find a, find a girl somewhere who, who needs a coat. Um, I'm, I'm a big, I, I'm a big believer in local charities. I think that, that the finding local charities that, that can use your things are, 
bring bring more fulfillment, I think, to that generosity than than goodwill. Um, uh, we uh, we we did take a lot of stuff to goodwill at the beginning. Um, eventually, we found the the Vermont Refugee um, Resettlement Program, where we gave a lot of our housewares to. Um, found the uh, like the local pregnancy crisis center in in Burlington that took a lot of the you know, our kids were were growing up foreign too so a lot of the baby stuff we we gave over there uh, I think your example of the high school sewing program like 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 that's the stuff where um, you you just I, I think experience some of the the joy of what it can mean to to pass your things along to, to other people and um, I think that I I'll share a story. Had a um, uh, a lady one time. Um, she was talking about uh, going through her house and getting getting rid of things, and she made the comment that she said uh, she said I've done I've done really well with almost everything except for the clothes in my closet. Like I just can't bear the idea of of going through and, and getting rid of the clothes in my closet. She said, but uh, everything changed um, a couple weeks ago when I was driving downtown. Uh, and I drove, uh, I, I drove by a sign. Um, I, I don't know how observant the sign was, but it was the, it was basically the, the battered women's clinic, uh, battered women's home, um, in the city where she lived. And she said, I, I, I thought of the women in the, in the building who, who had left, you know, their, left their homes probably in the middle of the night, you know, with maybe nothing more than the clothes on their back or their, you know, their children in their arms. And she said, the idea of all my clothes sitting in my closet and uh, what the women in that building had gone through, she said, that was all I needed. And I, I just took all the clothes that I wasn't wearing that I didn't need. And I, I donated them to that, um, uh, to that home, knowing that, that they would be used, that, that they would, um, you know, bring joy and beauty to, um, to someone who, who really needed it. So I don't know, maybe, uh, that's my best therapist hat right there for That's you. That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> Thank you. So, I'm um, so how in what ways have you been surprised by the success of your uh, of the, the the enterprise nature of what you're doing? It sounded like you started this with as a personal endeavor and you you used the website as a journal, but this thing has become more than that. An accidental business? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, terribly surprised. I uh, I had no idea. Um, it wasn't even something that I was I was hoping to do. But I I began writing. It's actually just a like a free WordPress.com website back then, and um, seemed to be uh, a few uh, a few people on there that they were blogging about um, simplicity. That they were were drawn to what I was doing, and and at first it was. Hey, you know, I'm getting ready to go through the kitchen. I found this article is really helpful. You know, different things that I was I was discovering along the way, and um, a lot of people were were coming by and offering you know very encouraging notes, like, hey, you know, I think what you're doing is great. Um, and then it uh, it kind of stumbled into, hey, I just found your website and and found what you're doing to be really interesting and fascinating, and and maybe something that I should start doing in my life as well. Um, and then uh, maybe a year and a half into it, I, I started getting questions from people, you know, Hey, how do I do this? How do I handle that? What do I do when my, uh, spouse wants nothing to do with my <laughs> desire to, to own less? And, um, I think that that's probably when, when I started getting questions is when I started saying, Hey, maybe this can be more than, 
than just my personal journal. Like maybe this can become a place where I, um, where I inspire others, where I help others, where I, I like to say where, um, where I can, um, uh, where I can be my neighbor's role in someone else's life and, and be the first one to introduce them to the idea of, of, uh, owning less on, on purpose. And, um, yeah, I continued to, to grow. And I think as it, as it did, I kind of found my, found my voice and found what I did well and, um, was, uh, was surprised by it. Although now that I've done it for eight years, um, I realized that, that maybe I shouldn't be so surprised. I, I think, why? Uh, well, because um, because because people own so much stuff. Like it is just unbelievable how much stuff people own, and uh, I think many people are drawn to the idea of getting out from under this weight and and getting out from under the burden of of clutter. And so when when they see people talking about it. Um, they, uh, they seem to be drawn to it almost, uh, almost as if like we're like, we've been tricked into owning too much. And when someone comes along with a message of owning less, it, it very much resonates with something that we've always kind of known deep down, uh, but have suppressed because we've just been convinced to, um, to buy bigger and more, um, all the time. Interesting. What, what were you doing before to make income? Uh, I was a pastor at a uh, at a church in Vermont. Mark's shaking his head. Well, I'm just thinking how filthy we were earlier in the show. Oh, all. yeah, we suck. Uh, we do. Sorry, <laughs> no, pastor. No, 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 I'm not. I'm no, I'm. I, I, I went to mention it. <laughs> so, so it, it for that reason. Okay, so the the so it's not like you were an aerospace engineer making 120 grand and you decided to do this thing, and because you're making so relatively. In the context of an aerospace engineer, you're you're making some relatively a lot less money, and so you, in addition to paring down your life, you also pared down your expenses, and so now you're living this really simple life. You actually, I'm I'm a, I'm making an assumptions based on my. You're telling the whole story. <laughs> yeah, based on my my perception of what a pastor's life is like, it wasn't a big leap to go from living as a pastor to doing what you're doing now. Um, evangelism on a different level. Yeah, but I'm talking about the the lifestyle and the consumption of patterns stuff. of and the stuff and the bills. You didn't sell and, the rolls exactly, right? Mm, uh, y- yes and no. No, I I I didn't have a, a Rolls Royce in the in the garage. But I, I can, so for example, our our home um, when I when I discovered minimalism was I don't know 2,300 square feet, and we had four bedrooms and. Uh, three bathrooms and four levels, and so it was. Um, um, How to hang on it, a second? It, hang on, hang on. How did you have four levels in a four bedroom house? It was Vermont. That's how they built them. Oh, is that right? Probably an older style home. Yeah, uh, yeah. There was a like a, a far, far basement, and then there was a, right. a kind of a um, like a, another basement, and then a living area, and then the, the upstairs. I don't know. Split level, I think, is what wow. they called it. Okay. Right. Not there wasn't one bedroom on each each uh, level. <laughs> it, was a, it was a fire tower. Exactly. <laughs> the, uh, the, the far basement was you know washer dryer, water heater, and um, leaking water. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so okay, so, yeah. so anyway, so all that to say, no, I, I mean there weren't 
there wasn't a Rolls Royce in the garage, but there was still a lot of stuff, right? I mean, just because um, just because I wasn't making aerospace engineer money doesn't mean I wasn't, you know, buying tons and tons of stuff. Um, there was just lesser quality than uh, a Rolls Royce would be. <laughs> You talked about so many people being drawn to the movement, and I think this conversation is actually an example of that. Um, I'm going to paraphrase what you just said. Um, regardless of your lifestyle, we all have room to simplify. We all have room to improve. We all have um, you know, an opportunity to be minimalist, even if you start with a backpack, you know, maybe you... Um, you know, maybe you get rid of your extra pair of clampons or something, you know, like there's, there's just in everything we do, there's an opportunity to do a little bit better and a little bit more light. Yeah. And I think that goes beyond just the, the things that we own. I mean, minimalism is essentially about, um, intentionality more than anything else. It's about being intentional with, uh, the things that I own, being intentional with the money that I'm spending, uh, being intentional with where my time is going and and where I'm spending my my energy, um, whether whether I'm talking about the things that I own or the the things that I do or um, even the the things that I eat and how I take care of myself. Yeah, you know, I, I think it's uh, I think that we all have uh, room to be um, intentional um, in in all areas. So we've, you know, we've, this conversation, our conversations always sort of uh, proceed along organically, but I do want to honor your expertise and, and your fame, I guess, for lack of a better term. Um, what do you, have we not touched on a subject that you really feel is, is important to what, what it is you're trying to accomplish and the message that you have? Um, I would add, you know, I mean, uh, Depending on where people are um, in this in this process, um, I, I mean, I assume most of your listeners are um, kind of thinking about this this stuff already. And and depending on where they are in in terms of downsizing, uh, it's it's difficult not just logistically, but like you mentioned earlier, like it's it's difficult emotionally. Um, it's when I when I started taking things and, and dropping things off, you know, the first couple of van loads of stuff, you know, went out pretty easily, but, uh, by about the third minivan load full of things <laughs> that I was getting rid of out of my house, I, I started to ask myself some pretty, like some pretty difficult questions, starting with why did I have three minivan load <laughs> full of things in my, in, in, in my house that I didn't need, right? Like <laughs> why, why did I have a house that was too big for my family? What, uh, what was, I don't know, what was in my heart, I guess, uh, what was kind of driving me to, to buy all this stuff that, that I didn't need to have. And, you know, I, I don't think we always like what we find, you know, not just the, the idea that, that, that maybe this consumeristic society has has more of an influence on us than than we would admit, but I, you know, I think we run into issues of greed and selfishness and and jealousy and, um, you know, maybe my identity really was wrapped up in in the things that I owned and uh, those are like those are hard things to to wrestle with, um, but uh, but they're important because um, I, I think that we we come out better on the other side of it. Um, and your listeners will know that, you know, those who have gone through the process have, 
you know, had to, um, had to go through some of those moments of why is this so hard for me to get rid of some of these things? Um, but I think all that introspection is, is, uh, is helpful. Wow. I really love that, that, what, how you're closing out this show, um, especially with your, your background as a pastor. And it just, it, it shows that everyone can have that kind of, uh, introspection and benefit from the introspection. And it's not always easy, but the, the end result is you end up in a better place. Mm-hmm. An really. epiphany that can really help change your life yeah. for the better. Yeah. Thank you for being on the show, Joshua. It was a pleasure having you. Uh, I, uh, I am, I'm grateful that, um, that you guys would have me on. Sorry about bringing up that whole pastor thing. I, <laughs> I know it was, I was good. going to, it was good. I, I'm, <laughs> I, I didn't want to ruin the whole mojo of your show. Yeah. So. <laughs> it's just our, our internal, internal self, self, uh, deprecation. If you wouldn't have been so specific with your questions, I, I could have worked around it. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, it great. so before we, again, before we go, uh, you want to give a quick shout out to your website, um, um, and let our listeners know where they can connect with you. Yeah. Uh, becoming minimalist.com is the, is the website. And that, I mean, that's the place to go. Everything, uh, everything flows from there. There's, uh, certainly, some books that we've written on the on the topic for people who are who are looking for extra help getting there. Um, there's a n- new book in the works about kind of rethinking our relationship with money, um, but uh, but everything uh, flows flows from that platform. So you can uh, find me there. It's very minimalist and beautiful. Agree. Very yeah, much. Very much. Okay, so let's let's um, move on. So, <clears throat> are we going to talk about a review on this show? Sure. You guys want to. Do you want to go five-star? Do you want to do a little bit lesser? What are you feeling like? <laughs> what are you feeling like, Michelle? I need a five-star review. You need a five today. Sorry, okay. I need a five-star okay. review. We'll do a nice pithy five, do a nice pithy five. from Lennon Richardson titled Awesome People. <laughs> I love this show. Funny and informative. <laughs> Pretty That's perfect, perfect for the go. show. Exactly. <laughs> it's almost like a haiku. Kind yeah. of. We'll get to ass hat another day. Exactly. Okay, then. That's with my that. Yeah. <laughs> um, who are we talking with next week? Uh oh. <laughs> hey, and I got two things to do. I can't do them at the same time. What are you expecting? He really was multitasking uh, today. He was over there was... on his laptop doing stuff. I was like, what the hell? I know. Playing okay. with Darth Vader. Exactly. Um, is that a euphemism? No. Um, <laughs> is, uh, Tiny House Atlanta yes. will be joining us. Yes. Oh, yeah. Or not. <laughs> Movers and Shakers in Georgia oh, that I right. get that's to right. meet. Yes. What month am I going to be there? Don't ask me. <laughs> March, April, May, June, Perry, July, Perry August, can't keep September, up with my speaking schedule, October, November, which is not surprising because neither can I. Next year. <laughs> okay, next year. so with that, <clears throat> yeah. everybody have a good day. Yeah, next week's going to be fantastic. Be good to each other. Yeah, Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to Tiny House Podcast. To find us online, go to tinyhousepodcast.com, where you will also find our show notes, if we remember to put them there. Our logo was designed by the amazing Carolyn Maine. Our website is hosted by the gang at Sitecast. Our theme music is by Oma Studio. Please go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating, or whatever. You tiny house-loving bastard. Tiny House Podcast is probably made in Portland, Oregon. <laughs>